You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, amen, and welcome to Harvest, and happy Father's Day to uh, the fathers in the room today. It was great to see you as dads driving up to the front, dropping off your families, and getting soaking wet as you came to church today. Only as a good father could do. And uh, happy Father's Day. Sometimes it's uh, a difficult day for some people because of a background and things they've been through in their, um, their lives with their dad. And um, you can for sure give honor to your heavenly father if you've trusted Christ and put your focus there today. That would be a great thing for all of us to do, uh, whether you're a father um, or you struggled with your father. Our heavenly father has never failed us. And... Uh, But the other reality is no matter how difficult the situation with your father might be or have been, um, you're here today, and without him that would not have been a possibility. And, uh, and so you can be thankful for the fact that you are here, and uh, if you're in Christ, you are saved, uh, not because of His work, but because of what God has done, and it's just a great day to celebrate Father's Day. Now, it's not fair for sure, right? The studies all show that more than twice as much money is spent on mothers on Mother's Day than is spent on fathers on Father's Day. And uh, all I can say to fathers is suck it up. That's just the way it is and the way it's going to be. And uh, be thankful that it didn't come out of your bank account and anyways. And uh, besides, you're spoiled um, as we all are in this country. That's the first thing. The second thing is in your bulletin today is this piece of paper. It's a very important piece of paper. I know you get the bulletin, you get in here, you can't wait to open it and read every single word in it every week. And uh, so knowing that, you probably haven't missed this and it won't be new to you, but um, in here is the announcement of of Teddy Ramnanan as an elder candidate for our church. We announced it uh, last Sunday night at the celebration, but according to our bylaws and the way we do things, um, this needs to appear, this announcement needs to appear in the bulletin for the next four weeks. And uh, why? Well, it tells you about the procedure that we go through. The elder selection isn't just done by the elders. There's a piece where the people of the church have opportunity, if necessary, to speak into this. And and so the reality is we have done a lot of work in vetting and working with Teddy and with Rose and are happy to bring their name forward to you. But we also need you to be reading and and, uh, considering. And if there's in here, it tells you what to do. If there's uh, any concern that you have, not your concern. I don't like the way he combs his hair or I don't like the shoes he wears, um, but any biblical concern, then you need to go and talk to him. Um, and, uh, and then after that, if that's not received well, you come to an elder and we would process that through. We're trusting that that would never happen, but that's part of the church's responsibility. And so I just mentioned this to you because you need to read it over, see it, but please don't read it over in the next 42 minutes. And uh, all right, get your Bibles out and turn to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is the uh, last message in our Real Talk series, and the reality is this message actually comes out outside of what Jesus had taught. The teaching finished last week, and so just to kind of set the tone, you have to remember what they have just gone through for the last uh, two or three hours or however long it was that Jesus taught. He uh, sat down with them, and he taught them all that they were there. Um, He taught them as a matter of review, but just so you come to an understanding of what happened 
happens at the end, he taught them about the Beatitudes, those character traits that are to be ours. He taught them that they are to be the salt of the earth. They are to be the light of the world. He taught them that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Then he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he goes through a myriad of things to teach them that their eyes would have been bugging out because they had been listening and thinking about how they had been taught these things. And what Jesus is saying, he's claiming to be far more than just some teacher that's come to teach them about some things. He taught them about anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation. He taught them to love their enemies. He, he taught them how to practice their righteousness. He taught them about fasting and where they should lay up their treasures. He taught them about anxiety. He taught them about prayer and the attitude of prayer. And, and then he came to this last part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the so what part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, now there's, there's some decisions you need to make. And really, the last part was a warning. It was telling them, it's time for you to understand who I am. It's time for you to make some choices. He talked to them about the two gates the narrow gate and the wide gate, the narrow gate leaning to the hard way that leads to life and the wide gate that leads to the easy way, but it leads to destruction. He said, you have to choose. He told them to watch out for false prophets, the, the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. He said to them, be careful, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but to the one who responds and does the will of God. That was the third one. And then last week, he finishes up the whole teaching talking about two foundations. And so he's just finished. Everybody's kind of standing up and leaving. And as they stand up and leave, the scriptures say there was two things that were really their focus. First of all, it says they were astonished at his teaching. They had never heard anything like this before in their life. And they were astonished at it. When was the last time you were astonished at the teaching of Jesus Christ? When was the last time something jumped off the scriptures pages to you and you could hardly contain yourself from the excitement of what the Lord Jesus Christ had just taught you? They were astonished at it. And what were they so astonished at? The authority. The authority with which he taught. Now, for a moment, we remove the servant, that's me, in this next illustration. Um, but lots of people come to our church, and they, after the service, they'll come up, or we'll talk to them afterwards, and they'll say, I, I didn't think there were any churches that still did this. Didn't think there were any churches that just took the word of God, and this is what God's word says. It's what matters. What the speaker says doesn't matter that much. What the people say doesn't matter that much. We want to be focused on the word of God. And we want to be a church that's filled with people who are astonished, not at how cute the pastor is, because that's a fail for sure, but how astonishing his word is and how powerful it is and the difference that it makes because this is a church that believes in the authority of the word of God. That's what they responded. That's how they responded. Really, pastor? Can you prove that? I sure can. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. 
Thank, thank you for this teaching of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at this for week after week after week after week after week. We, we have taken and seen what the Lord has taught. And Father, we've learned much. And now, Lord, would you give us hearts to respond like these people responded with astonishment at the Savior. Understanding or seeking to understand his authority, how different what he was doing from what their world was doing, what their leaders were doing. Lord, would you give us that kind of heart and that kind of passion as we read your word and understand the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us minds to understand today, God, that then hearts, God, that we would passionately respond and live out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, the goal of this message is that we would respond with astonishment to the authority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ in his word is awesome. And we more and more in our lives every day need to be surrendered to it. And so let's dive right in. Uh, the first thing we want to see is the teaching of Jesus was astonishing. Uh, look at um, verse 28 again. And when they finished these, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. You know, we look up to people. Um, sometimes we're astonished by them. Um, uh, maybe it's a favorite preacher you have and you listen to him. And like, Where does he get that stuff? Where does he get that stuff? That, that's amazing how he says that. And you're just like, whoa, I can listen to more of that. Uh, maybe it's a, um, a someone who does music. Maybe it's a singer. Maybe it's and you're just, you listen to them and you're like, oh, that's amazing. The range they have, the ability they have, the voice that they have. Or, or maybe it's a person who plays an in instrument and you're just like, wowed by how, I wish I could do that. And, or maybe it's an athlete and you've watched them and you've seen what they've done and what they can do with a basketball or with a hockey puck or with a whatever. And you're just like, that is astonishing that they can actually make that thing do that thing. I can hardly dribble the ball without it, without it uh, falling out of my hand. I can hardly even shoot a puck. I can hardly, and, and you actually try it and then you realize the giftedness and, and you have this sense of, of astonishment. Well, this astonishment was far greater than that. So first of all, let's take a look at the astonishment for them. It says they were astonished. Why? Why? They were astonished by the teaching of Jesus, which was different. I, I'm sure as they came up that day, they're going to go, we're going to go and hear the teacher. This is the next seminar that we've got on our calendar. We paid $99.95 to go to it. So let's sit down. Let's hear what this guy has to say. Okay, they didn't pay anything. They went and Jesus sat down. And he taught them, and when they were done, they were astonished. During his earthly ministry, Jesus astonished people over and over again. He astonished them in the synagogue in Mark 1, 21 and 22. It says, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority not as the scribes, we'll come back to that. His Sermon on the Mount astonished them. They were in shock and awe. They couldn't believe what they had just heard. Jesus has just rocked the establishment. He has just brought the truth in ways they'd never understood it before. The teaching of Jesus was astonishing. It was astonishing to them. It should be astonishing to us. Why? Because the teaching of Jesus is different 
The teaching of Jesus is different from the religions of our world where every man's trying to reach God and you just work hard enough or, or, or just don't you worry. It's, the religions of the world take us to ourselves as the way we have to get to God. And we should be astonished at the free gift of Jesus Christ. The religions of the world, we face them. We think about the philosophies of man and what he teaches. Just think better about yourself. You find the God in you. You just, enough of you, enough of you, enough of you, and you'll be fine. Enough of you and you'll be separated from God for eternity. Or maybe your own schemes of how you will get to God. The focus of your own mind. If I accomplish enough things, if I have enough stuff, I will be a success. Well, you might be a success in the eyes of man in this world, but it won't be enough when you have to stand before God. This idea of astonished suggests a variety of emotional reactions to the teaching of Jesus. They were astonished. Somebody might even come in today and go, I've never heard teaching like that before. I've never heard teaching like that before. But it doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. There were people who went away who rejected Christ. Judas sat in that teaching and rejected Jesus Christ. And so there was a sense of their astonishment, but their astonishment doesn't necessarily lead to their commitment to follow him. And they would understand much more as the teaching of Jesus went on. The teaching of Jesus was astonishing for them. It was for us. It was astonishing by what it was not Just look into the text. There's the negative first. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They were astonished because it wasn't teaching like they heard over and over and over again where the scribes were just seeking to interpret the law. One of the great challenges that the scribes had is they would just go and listen to somebody else and listen to somebody else and just regurgitate it out. They didn't speak with the authority. The rabbis would quote from the Talmud or the Mishnah and, or even from other rabbis. They were always quoting someone else, but they were never teaching the text with authority. It wasn't like the other teachers. So they were overwhelmed. They were astonished because Jesus wasn't teaching like they had heard before. They were astonished by what his teaching was. And it really comes down to one word. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. He was teaching them as one who had authority. And they were probably sitting there thinking, on what basis does he make these statements? Who does he think he is? Those who were starting to understand who Jesus was and we become followers of his, they're drinking it in. They're just trying to figure it all out and understand it. Understanding we under know the rest of the story and they didn't, but they were just like drinking it in and drinking it in and drinking it in. I'm sure there were those who rejected it as well. Who, who do you think you are with that kind of authority? Some people might come and sit in church and go, Pastor Paul, who do you think you are standing up there talking to us like this? Well, we're we're going to come to that at the end of this message because that authority is your authority as well. But Jesus taught them as one who had authority, one who had real authority, not who do you think you are. Well, Jesus was for them to go and listen and heed to it and obey it. But sadly, even today, there are many in the church who hear the word of God and the teaching of Christ, and on the day-to-day of their life, they just try and set it aside. 
I think you need to be careful. You could be the people where it says, I never knew you. Um, or maybe the person in your sanctification, you're growing up and you just need to learn this is God's word and I need to respond to it and I need to do it. They understood that this man was teaching differently. He was teaching as one who had authority. You ever wonder, wouldn't it have been neat to be sitting there and hearing all of this? You had to be a fly on the wall as teachers. Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. I kind of think that, but then I think maybe I would be the pessimist in the room. Maybe I would have been the person who's like, who does he think he is? Maybe I would be the, see, we have so much more to benefit from and rejoice in, but uh, we need to understand that Jesus was doing some teaching. And the question to who do you think we are is really what we want to get to in this text and understanding uh, what the authority of Jesus Christ meant. So that's the next major point in our church, because in our message, because it says the teaching of Jesus had authority. Here's what it says in the text again. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. And so what kind of authority? Well, we're going to spend a good chunk of our message taking a look at this and understanding it because if Jesus isn't who he says he is, we're wasting our time. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God of all gods. He is the one we are to worship. And so it's so important that we get this piece right. And so on what basis did Jesus have this authority? Well, first of all, it was an inherent authority. In other words, it was already his the word inherent means existing and something is permanent, essential, or character, or a characteristic attribute. This is who Jesus was. Why? Why does Jesus have the authority? Well, here's um, three areas. One, he's the creator. He's the creator. Jesus has the authority to teach with authority because he is the creator. In the beginning, God created Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 3, and nothing was made that wasn't made by Him. Jesus is the Creator. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, all things were made by Him and for Him. Jesus Christ wasn't an afterthought of God. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Creator. He owns the creation. He has the authority to speak into His creation. That's reason number one. He's the Creator. Number two, he's the heir of all things. It all belongs to him. It all comes to him. Psalm 2 verse 8 prophesied that Jesus would be given all things. Hebrews 1 2 talks about him as the son. Jesus was, has been appointed the heir of all things. It all comes to him. It all belongs to him. That flies in the face of our society. We struggle with that stuff even in our homes with whose is whose and what is what in our home. Hey, the reality is everything belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the heir of all of it and therefore he has authority over all of it. The next reason that Jesus has the authority is that he is the redeemer. He's the redeemer. He's the only one who could redeem us. He's the only one that there was ever a possibility that we could come from darkness to light, from death to life. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Um, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I realize I'm giving you some references without the scriptures. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures later on in this message, and there just wouldn't be time to give you all of it. 
But I want you to hear that my authority today is not based on my thoughts or what I think. It's based on what God's word says. And it says that Jesus was the redeemer, the one who redeemed us from our sins. And he has done that with his own blood. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption. Next week we're going to start a series, um, Redeemed, God's Amazing Work, or something like that. And we're going to do that all summer. We're just going to look at redemption. We're going to look at God's plan of our salvation from before the earth started, right through till what God has done and how he has worked and all of it, right through till we get to go to heaven. Because he redeemed us. Why does he have authority? Because you couldn't redeem yourself. You were separated from God with no hope, not a foot to stand on. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he he redeemed you. He has this inherent authority. It is his. It belongs to him. It was inherent. Here's another thing. It was recognized. The authority of Jesus is recognized. Well, who recognized his authority? Well, how about the angels recognized his authority? In Hebrews 1.6, you'll see it. When the announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to Mary and Luke, the, the authority of Jesus Christ is recognized by the angels. The angels who love God. The angels who serve him. He was worshipped by the angels. He sat on the throne of God in Revelation 5, 11 and 12, and the angels cry, holy or worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord. The angels recognized him. The demons recognized him. In um, Mark 1, 23 to 26, we're going to read this again in a bit, but they acknowledged he had the authority to destroy them. They obeyed his rebuke. The demons, even when possessing power of their own, could not resist his authority. Jesus Christ, his authority was recognized by the angels. His authority is recognized by the demons. His authority is recognized by creation. Not even going to go into that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but here's another group that recognized his authority. It's called the redeemed. In Revelation 7, 9, and 10, those before the Lamb and uh, before the throne and the Lamb ascribed salvation to God and the Lamb. He was praised by the redeemed. And ultimately, ultimately, all of the world will recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Every knee will bow. We've talked about this before. Every tongue will confess. Not just the followers of Christ. We will bow and we will confess. And it'll be on the journey to be with the Lord forever in heaven. How awesome will that be? And those who have rejected Christ will also bend the knee. They will come under the authority. And he will say, I never knew you. And you'll be separated for eternity. The redeemed understand the authority of Christ, but ultimately, every knee will bow. The authority of Christ was inherent. It was his already. It was recognized. But then what I really want to get into today is the extent of his authority. What was the extent of this authority? See, it's at the beginning of the journey for them, and they haven't got it all figured out yet. I am so glad I am on this side of the cross. They're trying to figure it all out. 
And so uh, you can uh, leave that part of Matthew, flip over to the very last chapter in Matthew, because that's basically where we're going to camp for the rest of this message. Um, In Matthew chapter 28, because it talks about the authority of Jesus. It says that he has all authority. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, That first part, and Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth. Do you know anywhere else you need authority? Like that's how broad it is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, He already had all of this authority. It already all belonged to him. He's the creator from before time Jesus Christ was. But now Jesus Christ has come as the God man. And so he's saying, I'm more than just a prophet. I'm more than, I am who I am, he's claiming to be God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Wow. How much authority? All authority. Well, how vast is this? Well, I looked up some of the theologians, and then I realized, you're starting to sound like a scribe. Who cares what the theologians think? Well, I care what they think, but they're not my authority. I read some other guys. What do they think? Well, they think good stuff, but it doesn't really matter what they think. It matters what Jesus Christ said. It matters what God says about the authority of Jesus Christ. If he has all authority and he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do, then we should be astonished at his teaching and we should willingly come under his authority. So I'm not going to quote any theologians. I'm not going to give you what their, appear- their opinions are. I want us to think about the word of God. Authority over. Here's 10 words. 10 words with a scripture for each one of them. To give you a sense to grasp the authority of Jesus Christ. Here's the first one. The authority over creation. I already said this. John 1.3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. If it was made, Jesus made it. He is the creator. And that's why he has authority. Jesus Christ is the person who made the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. It didn't happen by a blip. It didn't happen by a fluke. It was done by God's working. It was done by God's hand. And Jesus Christ is the creator. And the creator has authority over his creation. Word number one. Word number two sustaining. Jesus is the one who sustains the world, holding it with the word of his power. Listen to this verse, an amazing verse. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Whenever I want to accomplish something, we have to work like dogs to get it done. My dad and I built a mudroom on the side of our house when we lived up in Muskoka, and uh, the two of us did it. He did most of it. I just like was a grunt worker because I didn't know nothing. And uh, I just know we worked hard to put this little thing on the side of our house. And Jesus sustains 
Jesus sustains the world by the word of his power. If somebody's going to go home and make lunch today, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have a job this week. You're going to have to work for it. God is in heaven, Jesus Christ, and he sustains the whole thing with a word. A word. Think how awesome, how powerful he is when you can sustain it all just with a word. He spoke it into being and it was with a word. That's the authority. That's the one, not only the creator, but the one who sustains it. The, the reason the earth doesn't fly off, the reason the sun keeps coming, we keep going around the sun, the moon is in orbit. Why? Because of the word of God's power. That's some big deal to him. Huge deal to us. If it stops, we're done. And he controls it by the word of his power. He sustains it. Here's another word. Covering over all of nature. He's got his eye on it all. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Matthew 10, 29 says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Luke 8, 25, he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the wind and the water? And they obey him. He's the one who governs all of nature. And they obey him. His authority over, here's the next word, verse word four, Satan. Satan and all of his demons. I talked about Mark 1 and verse 27 it says, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear the power of Satan nor of his demons demons. God is greater. Jesus Christ is greater. He, by the power of his word, controls all of those things. Now, do we open up ourselves? Do we find ourselves in sin because of it? And do we feel the pressure? And do we feel, yes, we do. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ has authority over Satan and his minions. Number five, Jesus has authority over the affairs of history. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. No surprise to God what's going on south of the border. There's no surprise to God what's going on north of the border. There's no surprise to God what's going on in the middle of the East, in the Middle East. And so much of this is consequences of sin and sinfulness and all of the rest of it. None of it, none of it is a surprise to God. He turns the king's head. He's in control of history. Jesus has authority over all disease. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and, and healing every disease and every affliction. He has authority over sinful acts of men. Genesis 5, 20. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good and to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, even the sinful acts of men. Jesus Christ doesn't cause them. He doesn't force them. We are responsible for them, but none of them are a surprise, and God moves us even in sinfulness for his pleasure, for his working, for his glory. 
Number eight, here's an awesome one. Jesus has the authority over our conversion. Over our conversion. This will be a great part that we look at in this series on redemption, but you know, the person who's in the room or the person who walks around the street thinking, I found God, is just blind to the Word of God. I'm not saying they aren't saved. If they found and put their trust in Jesus Christ, they're saved. You're not saved by how you think all of that happened. You're saved by the work of Jesus Christ. But don't be deceived. You didn't find God. You didn't find him. He came to you. He came to you. You were dead in your trespasses in sins. Ephesians 2 says, and he made those alive who were dead. Dead people don't do anything. They're not searching after anything. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that we, we weren't seeking after God. We had wanted nothing to do with him. The claims of Jesus Christ are, are awful to our world. Just listen to what's happening in our world and the pressures that start to come against us because we trust in Jesus Christ and we have a faith in a righteousness that doesn't line up with what they want and what they desire. And your conversion came not because you were seeking after God, but that God came and he reached out and he met you. No, no, but pastor, but pastor, I, I came to that place and I responded. Yes, you did. We all have to come to the place of trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. We come to the place where we respond, but there isn't anyone righteous. There isn't anyone, the Bible says, who seeks after God. And God does that work and he saved you and that's awesome what he did. Mark 10, 26 and 27, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible. Who can be saved? Based on what you think you can do, it's impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Nobody causes himself to be, set, to be saved. Nobody raises himself from the dead. Jesus Christ did that work. And so many of you in this room have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're in this room and you haven't understand the authority of your conversion comes from Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting in this room today and you're feeling that sense of, I don't have this, I need this, I want Christ, I want that work, that's not because you did something, that's because Christ is doing something and you need to respond in repentance and faith and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the one for your hope of eternal life. He is the reason you'll be able to stand before God one day and not fear your eternal destination. And all you can do is believe and receive it. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. You can't get it on your own. Christ brings it to you today. Today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because Jesus has authority over your conversion. Here's another one. Jesus has authority over death. Over death. They took Christ and they hung him on a cross. We said it at Easter. The Romans knew how to kill people. They were really, really good at it. Jesus Christ was already dead. And yet they took the spear and they shoved it up between his ribs, through his lung, probably into his heart. Jesus Christ is dead. And three days later he is risen. Why? Because he has authority. He is God. Man could not stop what God was doing. He had authority over his death. And he has authority over your death. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died. Spiritually, they died. And they began a process to physically die. But Jesus Christ came to give us life. 
He has authority over his own death. He has authority over your death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57, it says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more area, Jesus has authority. He has authority over his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus taught them as one who had authority and they were astonished. Are you astonished at the working of Jesus Christ? Are you astonished at the authority of who God is and all that he's accomplished? Are you astonished by it? Well, Matthew 28 teaches teaches us that the authority of Jesus is foundational for all of his disciples. This this authority that he has is is foundational to all of his disciples. Look uh, down at verse 19. After he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, and he says, go, therefore. Now you go. Now you go and do what? And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Teaching them what? Teaching the things that I have taught you, the things that you have authority with, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Well, so is this just for the pastor? Is this just for the elders? No, it's go. All of us are to go. Go with what? With the authority of the teaching of Jesus Christ, with the authority of God's word. What you think really isn't worth two cents. What God thinks is worth everything. And when we bring God's word into the situation, lives are changed. People conform to the image of Jesus Christ. He is glorified. I have no authority on my own. But I have the authority of God's word. I don't have all authority. All authority is Jesus Christ. He said, I have all authority. And now I'm teaching, telling you, take my word and teach them. Teach them. So often people come into my office and I want to give them my ideas about what they should do. And I have to go back to what does God's word say about this first? You get that first in place. There are lots of things we can do. There are lots of ideas we can have. There are lots of things. They're all good and they're supportive, but they're secondary. The first and foremost thing is the word of God. When somebody comes to you and they have a struggle, they have a thing they're wrestling through, do you work that through with them from the principles of God's word? Do you take the word that you know and do you use it? Because that's where the authority is. The authority isn't your good ideas. The authority isn't your ability to wax eloquent. Isn't it interesting that they didn't say in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, he was an amazing teacher. The way that guy could use a PowerPoint and a laser pointer, the way he could hold us with what he said, they didn't talk about any of that stuff. They talked about his authority. And so when you teach... Teach with the authority. Teach with the authority of God's word. We've had the promise of his Holy Spirit to guide us in this in John 16. We're commanded then to teach others to observe all that he commanded us and to proclaim, proclaim that whoever receives 
doesn't receive us, but receives him, receives the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the calling in our lives. On what authority do I stand here today? On the authority of Harvest Bible Chapel? I better not. On the authority of I think I'm something? I better not. But on the authority of God's word, on the authority of who Jesus Christ is, on the authority of what he's accomplished, I can stand here with boldness and courageously proclaim the word of God because it's his to deal with in your heart. It's mine to be faithful. And that's true for all of us with your friend and with your neighbor and with your family member. You cannot change their heart, but you can bring the word of God and you can allow it to work and you have the authority of God's word behind you as you do it. What a great responsibility, but what a great hope. As a result, we should be bold as we seek to make disciples. We should be bold as we do evangelism, even to the hardest peoples, whether the hardest peoples around the world or the hardest people who is your next door neighbor or your spouse or your friend. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Go. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Boldness to make disciples, boldness for evangelism, and boldness to even go. What does go mean? Well, it means different things for different people. God will reveal that to you. Go might be to your neighbor. Go might be to your spouse. Go might be to your kids. Go might be somewhere halfway around the world. Go might be, I don't know what go is for you. But Jesus says, be ready and be willing to go. Had a family in my office this week. Um, we're part of our church before uh, Durham started. Went out there and, and they're going. Where are they going? They're going to Hong Kong. Why? Because they believe God has called them to do that. He's going there to teach. But they're in my office the other day going, how can we start a Harvest Bible Chapel when we get there? It's not about Harvest Bible Chapel. But they're going with more than just the mission to teach. They're going to how could we be used for the kingdom of God? See, that's the authority. That's what we have. And that's what Jesus Christ has given to us. Boldness to go. Boldness to go. Whenever God's word is presented as it truly is, it has inherent power that will astonish people and set itself apart from the mere opinions of man. Go. Well, so what? The goal of this message would be that you would respond with astonishment to the authority of Jesus Christ. That you would go home and you'd be thinking about what does God's word say and how am I responding to it? And Jesus Christ is who he says he is. I know he is who he says he is. Why am I so humdrum in my life? It's time for me to get that light flick switched on. I need to be living out for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has the authority. What he has done for me is awesome. And I want to rejoice in what God has done. I want to be part of what God is doing because of the work of Jesus Christ, my Savior. What will you do with the word of God? We listen to Jesus and respond to him, the one who speaks with such authority. Will we as his church allow the leaders to lead and guide us through the authority that's charged to us and them? And I'm not just talking about the elders when I talk about that. I'm talking about the, the directors in our ministry. I'm talking about your small group leader. I'm talking about the person who comes alongside of you with God's word. Will we come under the authority of the word of God? When we're confronted with something, will we respond to it? 
And will we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology? First pillar of our church, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. People won't like it. Uh, people won't want it. And then God will do a work in their life and they will be saved and they will be changed and it will be done for the glory of God. God helping us that we would be people who honor and accept the authority of Jesus Christ and in hearing we do what God has called us to do. Help us, God, to be overwhelmed by the awesomeness of Jesus Christ and his authority to not only save you, but to keep you and present you faultless before God in heaven for the fame of his name, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. Stir our hearts, God. Stir our hearts to be people of God who are not just resonating in some, well, that's cool what Jesus does, but to be overwhelmed by it and be changed by it and live out by it and for it. Lord, I pray for the person here who's never trusted Jesus Christ, that this would be the day they would understand who Jesus Christ is, what he's accomplished, and they would trust Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. God, do this work in your way for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.